welcome back to Working Wife, Happy Life. This is your host, Bethany Baines. I keep coming back to this this feeling or this concept this past week, this this like hyper over communication. I feel over communicated. I guess I guess that's the term I'm looking for. I feel like between, you know, three to four inboxes and texts and pings and phone calls, and if you have a side hustle or side projects, or if you have kids and there's the end of school updates, and it's just on and on. I feel like it's this constant input and output of communication flow. And sometimes it's just exhausting, like feeling constantly updated or having notifications or unread emails or things you know you have to reply to. And I know we've all been there and this is well-documented kind of burnout, but like, what are your tricks to make it stop? I've tried to do this kind of digital detox idea for even a little bit, but then I feel like as soon as I do that, it's like the dam and the water just keeps coming and coming. And then you get that anxious creep that you know it's there and you just have to unpack it and do it at some point. So I'm trying to find better ways to kind of, I guess, ease the flow, right? Like starting to say no more, starting to realize maybe I don't have to respond to every email, uh, you know, closing tabs on my browser or trying to be intentional about when I check emails or stopping notifications. Um, if anyone has a magic bullet, please let me know. You know, sometimes you can feel like you're riding the wave and sometimes you feel like it's completely pulling you under. I will say on this morning, um, I'm kind of in the middle, uh, but for most of this week, I've felt pulled under. So I'm hoping that maybe the week ahead, I will be riding the wave. Either way, let's get on with it. Today's conversation. Today's conversation will bring you so much joy and hope through the pragmatic assessments and optimistic mindsets shared by one woman whose singular mission is to help other women. How great is that? Renna Nowis is an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, a strategic advisor, and the host of iTunes' number one podcast in the Middle East, When Women Win. Prior to this, she was the youngest sales executive globally at GE Capital and the president of the Elevate Network chapter in Dubai. With justice as her number one value, this cancer-surviving, no-BS mama shares how she remains focused and intentional amidst chaos. Additionally, we discuss the global nature of the challenges that women face in the workplace, how to amplify the achievements of women and underrepresented voices, strategic visibility, the notion of women being expected to look young but act and know old, the concept of stereotype threat, caring for yourself first, asking for help, and a fantastic tip to help pick yourself up and feel good when you need it the most. When Women Win, her podcast just wrapped up its fourth season with 100 episodes earlier this month, so huge congrats. Please enjoy my conversation with Renna. Thank you so much for joining me on Working Wife Happy Life podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Me too. It's so fun to interview other podcast hosts. One, there's a ton of pressure because I'm so curious how people do their own production or their own style. Um, but also, I know for myself, when I'm interviewed on podcasts, it's such a joy because there's there's just less prep. You just yeah. get to show up and talk. It's so much less work to be yeah. <laughs> to be the guest. And this is a treat. Thank you, Bethany. Well, you deserve a break from all the work that you do because, you know, just for our listeners quickly, we met through a connection in New York um, a couple of months ago, maybe. Um, and I feel like I just we just instantly connected, and I feel like I I know you even though I barely know you. I've never met you in person, um, and I think it's such a beautiful testament to the way that you network and that you look to create community even in this bizarro pandemic world. So I'm very glad that our worlds collided. Yeah, um, I love I love the way we met. You know, I think it's a really really 
cool story and it's really almost how the world will be forevermore you know so i moved to houston i'm new in houston i want to meet people and i reach out to my network globally and say hey everyone i'm in houston now i need to make friends who do you know and then my friend our, our mutual friend in new york says well you know uh, I don't know anyone in Houston, but here's my friend in New Jersey who I think you'd really hit it off with. And so <laughs> she connects us. And then the, the sort of irony of ironies, you happen to know people in Houston. And of course, you're awesome. And you're just like, here are oh. the three women I know in Houston. Off you go. And, uh, yeah. you know, it's been great. And so I met them and it was great. And um, yeah, and that's the way it is. And and I'm finding that a lot of the people that I reach out to, uh, you know, with my sort of cry for uh, not help, but, you know, connection. I want this human connection. I'm in a whole new place. I don't know anyone. We moved here just before the pandemic. All networking events canceled. We didn't have a chance to make friends. Um, and so this virtual world has been a lifesaver you know it's mm -hmm. been it's been great and in, in that respect yeah. it's a silver lining for sure and it's so it's such a great um reminder of meaningful connections right so these aren't just like oh hi great to meet you whatever you know nice to know you maybe if i'm in town someday it's like no what are you working on what are you doing how can i help connect you with people where you can add value where they can nourish your life and your work um and i think that is what I've seen continue and in some ways actually be easier throughout this pandemic because mm. people, there's a little bit less lift, right? You're not yeah. juggling so much of commuting. You're not juggling so much of coordination in locales. Everyone's accepting that this is going to be a video connection. Um, so it's really, it's very, really cool. And I can't wait to dig into this conversation. So I'm going to jump right in because when I was saying earlier that you of anyone deserve a break, um, I just want to share with our listeners that you are an entrepreneur, a keynote speaker, a strategic advisor, the host of iTunes number one podcast in the Middle East. You were the youngest female executive at GE and the president of the Elevate chapter in Dubai. And everything you do is in the name of helping women. And I just feel like you have been living this, this journey and, and this life and this mission in every facet of your life. And I can't wait to talk about all of those different experiences. Wow. Thank you. My gosh. <laughs> Thanks for laying it out like that. <laughs> Let's get into it. As I say on my podcast, what do you want to talk about? Yeah. I mean, damn. All right. So let, let's start. I mean, I think First of all, just share with us a little bit of your path, because I do think your journey through different uh, regions and different countries, all with this mission-driven work, is really meaningful. So I would love to just share kind of your geographical and cultural experiences when it comes to inequities. Sure, sure. So I am sort of born of diversity. I'm My father is Palestinian, my mother Lebanese. I'm born in the UK and we moved to Dubai when I was five mm. and um, and I was raised there and then I went back to the UK for university and I've worked in the UK. I started my career in London at McKinsey's London office, um, then moved and worked and lived in Dubai, uh, serving Africa. So towards, the, I was, I worked for GE Capital Aviation Services. I was their youngest sales VP. And, um, and I was covering a, a region, a very interesting region, very diverse region. So it was Africa, Turkey, and Lebanon. Mm. And I really cut my teeth there, you know, and I, I'm, I'm a BD salesperson, right? So I was the regional director, uh, mostly responsible, ostensibly responsible for building the business there. Um, so for example, I did the first ever aircraft lease in Libyan history. Um, you know, I put the first 737 ever into the Congo. That's the oh kind of work God. that I did. And I enjoyed it. I really loved it. Um, and I got to work across, you know, all, all these cultures. I think, you know, a lot of people ask me, what was it like being a woman in these territories? And really being a woman was was the least of my issues at that time. Uh, it was more being young. It was, you know, mm. how do you build credibility as a young woman? So being a woman is, you know, Obviously, we all know they're major barriers, right? But being a young woman is even harder, right, mm -hmm. um, than being a young man or an older woman. So, uh, so that was something that I had to get around. And um, and now I'm living and working in the U.S. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think the one big learning I would say 
given my focus over the past three years on um, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is that a lot of the, the, the challenges that women face in the workplace are global, right? Mm. I mean, sure, we have extra ones um, in the Middle East, for example. The the percentage of women joining the workforce is low, is is much lower than the global average. Um, so that's an additional challenge. But when you get into the workplace, um, whether you are in corporate or an entrepreneur, uh, you have the same challenges. You have the same barriers getting to the top in corporate. You have the same challenges building credibility and fundraising as an entrepreneur. So um, I thought that was really, really interesting. What we're talking about is a global pandemic of another kind. That is interesting because what you're saying is that once you've broken that barrier of whether or not the the binary I'm going to be engaged in the workforce or not, the the gender discrimination, the stereotypes, the assumptions, the un- unconscious bias, all of that is a global phenomenon. Totally. And I saw this when I, I ran the GE Women's Network for the Middle East and Africa for some time. So I co-led it for that region. And um, and I was plugged into the women's networks all over the world. And so the conversations we were having were very similar. And then mm-hmm. again, Elevate. I ran Elevate for the Middle East, which is the biggest business Love women's Elevate. network in the Middle East. Love Elevate. Um, yeah. And uh, and so I was plugged into the Elevate chapters globally again. And and so we see this. And similarly, what, what was cool about joining Elevate or running Elevate um, uh, sort of after the GE Women's Network was, it gave me an, an insight into uh, the, the life of an entrepreneur. And, um, and really, a lot of women entrepreneurs were coming to these events, which I thought would be more interesting to corporates. But no, mm-hmm. they're going through their own stuff, too. So yeah, it's business-wide, it's geographical, globally, it's, it's industry agnostic. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of engagement in external networks by entrepreneurs because that's what you lose when you go out on your own. You kind of lose that sounding board. You lose that community. You lose that inherent like collegiate or colleagues kind of way to engage and bounce ideas off one another. Um, But I do want to backtrack on one point that you made because this is, is resonating specifically with my community at Google. Um, There's been a recent thread about this, this idea of youth in the workplace, right? And the assumptions that are made. And I think particularly for women, uh, that the topic we were talking about is how the compliment of you look so young is actually not a compliment when you're Mm. talking to professional women. And the way that women almost have to uh, lead with their experiences versus, you know, I've been here for X years or I just, you know, graduated from university, whatever it is, um, there's such a presumption on you know, kind of, kind of marrying with the idea that women are, you know, in general promoted based on experience, whereas men are promoted based on potential, uh, potential. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at that lens and say, let's just take that as, as truth. uh, It's one of those Bill Maher things. I don't know it for a fact, but I know it to be true. Um, So let's look at that through that lens for young women professionals, right? And how that bias plays out in terms of looking at a young male professional and wow, how much potential he has. Let's take him along with us. Let's sponsor him. Let's give him some mentorship. And how does that play out for, for young professional women? Did you ever experience that type of like outward bias? Um, Did I ever experience that type of outward bias? bias. Um, I think for me, the, the challenge of being young, um, can I, can I just say something, uh, Bethany, you know, I, I'll answer that question, Bethany, but I just want to, you know, high sort of, what's the word I want to say? Yeah. Frame. Um, I'm going to answer that question, Bethany, but first I just want to frame what you just said, because it's really, really important. It's like, we want women in the workplace to look young. You have pressure to look young, but be old and experienced. Mm. Like this is the the box that we put women in. You have to look young, but act old and, and, you know, no old men don't have any of these pressures, right? They really mm-hmm. don't. Um, and, and that's sort of, that contributes, I think, to the challenges we see in the research that's recently come out, which is 
when I think it was a McKinsey study, uh, they called it the first rung. They, they found that when they're looking, when they're assessing the gender gap in the workplace, they've tracked it down to that first rung, right? Mm-hmm. So that, that is, i.e., when you're young. So, um, so what they found is that women are much less likely to get that first break, that mm-hmm. first break, because of the things you mentioned, which is, you know, men are more likely to get sponsored, they're promoted on potential, women have get promoted on track record. So all of these things make it more difficult uh, for women. I think for me, to, to get back to your question, where my experience was um, within the Middle East at the time, there was actually a focus on getting more women to the top. So mm-hmm. I... Mm-hmm benefited there was a there was a door open to me because yeah you're young but you're a woman who has these sort of western credentials you worked at McKinsey you have an engineering degree from Oxford you know what we're going to give you that chance um and I just want to make the point here if somebody opens a door for you and they tell you you know what you're it's open really because we're we we need better gender balance take it you know, mm-hmm. grab it. It doesn't matter. Being a woman has worked against <laughs> you or against, you know, our moms and grandmas and their moms and grandmas for a long time. So yeah. if a door is open, you know, everyone says, I hear this in the workplace, Bethany, you know, I don't want to be hired or promoted just because I'm a woman. You're not promoted just because you're a woman, but you are considered because you're a woman, right? Mm. You'll be pro- nobody, no for-profit company. Uh, is going to consistently promote underperforming uh, women. Nobody's no. going to do that. No. You know, no. no, no company, no publicly listed company, no private company. Nobody wants underperformers at the top. You're not promoted because you're a woman. You're promoted because you're competent, but they're considering you because you're a woman uh, mm-hmm. sometimes. And I think that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah. I, I, you know, it's so funny. I remember actually saying that to uh, uh, my former VP, I said, I, I don't want to get the promotion because I have a vagina. And he said, well, you, well he said, and you don't want to not get it because you have a vagina exactly. either. Exactly. And yeah. that's the thing. Being a woman had locked us out of these rooms, these opportunities for decades. Mm-hmm. And suddenly, all it means now, this focus, is that you're not locked out. Yeah. That's what it means. Yeah. No, I love that. And, I, I you know, it's so, again, to this framing and this this idea that, you know, I've heard actually a lot of white men in the workforce say things like, well, now I'm not going to get that opportunity because we're making such an effort with women or we're making such an effort with other uh, marginalized communities. And it's like, you know, I mean, we'll let you know when we get there, right? 200 years. That's what I say. I say cry me a river in 200 years time when we finally reach equity. Exactly. It's like, I I mean, how many, and I don't want to discourage those that are extremely talented, but how many aren't and have just failed up time and time and time again, right? And this is part of the double standard, you know, like Mm -hmm. women have to be extraordinary to get Mm -hmm. to the top, whereas look at how many mediocre men make it. You know, why, why the mm-hmm. double standard? And yeah. that's what we're trying to eliminate. It's that, and I keep saying the, the, le- the, the playing field is so tilted against women. And so these interventions are necessary to level it. That's yes. what we're doing. That's the purpose of intervention. It's to level the playing field. Yeah. And that's why I think too, when we're making these programs or these initiatives, there's a hesitancy because they feel unnatural because the people in power have to do something differently than they've been doing before. And it it feels more forced. It feels more programmatic, but that is actually what you need to do to enforce change. It's the only way there's nothing else. Then nothing else will make it happen. It's the only way. Yes. It's uncomfortable and inconvenient and whatever you might want to put as a barrier, but it is necessary really to yeah. because these there's a ton of status quo bias there's a ton of systemic bias um which has resulted from unconscious bias and the fact that you know 60 the, the corporate world was built 60 years ago by men for men who had you know a partner living at home looking after everything else you know mm-hmm. but the workplace has changed we now have a lot you know two thirds of couples are in dual career relationships uh, sorry two thirds of professionals are in dual career relationships, 
um, we have a ton of single parents now in the workforce. So mm-hmm. things like the, the workforce needs to adapt. Um, I do want to come back on the point of, you know, when a woman, you, you know, as your boss told you, you don't want to not get it because <laughs> you have right. a vagina and then you get the job um, and then you feel, uh, okay, now I have to perform. And, you know, a lot of uh, women and under and underrepresented groups, all underrepresented groups carry this thing called stereotype threat, you know, which mm-hmm. is if I don't perform as a woman, as a black person, as a Latina, then they won't put another one like me in this place for a long time. And that mm-hmm. that is heavy and that is real. Um, and that is just something that we have to we have to bear and we have to get through it. And the reality is we do have to work hard and build our credibility. I mean, I did like I faced that a lot, that stereotype threat. You know, they said, oh, you know, you're the you're the youngest, you're the first Arab, you're the first this and that to to run a region for GCAS. And um, and so what did I have to do? I went into, you know, countries where nobody from my company had ever visited to get deals done and I got them done. But I, I there was definitely that burden that I yeah. I had to do that. But you know what? It's par for the course. But we want yeah. that burden. We want that. We need that. You know, you know, it's funny. I was just th- before you shared that. And I love that because I've never even heard that concept of the stereotype threat. But we do you do carry that responsibility with you as the first, as the only, as the one of a few. Um, and, and that is uh, a huge responsibility. And it is an added tax um, and it is an added, uh, you know, emotional and professional burden. Um, and when you were, sh- when we were talking about this idea of putting into place these programmatic, um, ways to address inequities, these, these kind of forcing functions, I had that moment of like, this is not going to be for us, right? This is going to be for the next generation. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so far in it in my mid forties that I I'm hopeful there's more for me to do. I, I wake up and think about this every day as I know you do too. There's more on my plate for me to get through, but at some point, like this is a path that we're just continuing to beat down and tread down and tread down so that it's easier for the next. Um, right. And that's just part of the plight. And you see this with with racial inequities. You see this inside and outside the corporate world. You see it with gender inequities. Um, it just is the plight. It just is tougher. It's You have to work harder. You have to do more for the same level of recognition. Now, yeah. how do you how do you keep yourself motivated when you think about that? Because I got to tell you, I have moments where I, I, I get tired of this work, right? So we're just coming off Women's History Month. And I'm sure like, like me, I got asked to, you know, speak at a lot of events and, and go to a lot of events and participate in a lot of things. Um, and at some point, someone asked me, there was a big conference going on. And she's like, Oh, are you going to join? And I'm like, No, I live and breathe this stuff all the time. I don't need to go to the conference. There's lots of people that that need that. I don't need to. (laughs) Like, how do you keep yourself going when you have those moments of, you know, either doubt or fatigue or just how do you stay resilient? Yeah, I think doubt I don't have. Fatigue, definitely. Uh, You know, and uh, the constant, you know, and when I was in corporate and you're, you're mentoring women and you're running the network and you're, you're sort of, you're there, even if you're not mentoring women, but you're, if you're running the women's network, everyone with a problem is coming to you. And, mm-hmm. and plus that's all on top of your day job, right? That's, right. you're not right. measured and against. And it's not recognized. No, yeah. it's really not. Uh, and I think that the corporates need to fix that, really, because to do this stuff well in a meaningful way, in an impactful way, takes headspace and time and energy. And and corporates need to value that. So, for example, um, when I first got asked to run the GE Women's Network, I said no, because I had a, this massive territory to run and I was being evaluated, evaluated sort of my performance was against my targets, my business targets in this massive territory. And I was traveling all the time and we just talked about stereotype threats. So I don't, I didn't want a distraction 
you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I got asked again and again uh, by the president of Middle East, of GE and Middle East and Africa. And, and eventually I said yes. And man, that was really a great decision because it was, I hadn't realized um, quite how different other women's experiences in the workplace were. So it was a very maturing experience for me. It was eye-opening. And, um, and that made me really what just hearing the stories across that whole region that were coming to me, you know, and suddenly I'm this lightning rod for stories. Um, it, it opened my eyes and I became a very, very passionate advocate for women in the workplace because my number one value is justice. And so seeing and hearing what, what these were the gamut of experiences that women were going through, things that honestly I had not been through. And no woman is going to go through every experience. No man is going to go through right. any. But we have to know that this stuff, we have, this stuff goes on. We have to know what's happening. We have to know, uh, you know, because we, we have to show, we have to have empathy. I think mm-hmm. there's a massive empathy gap in corporate. You know, people who've never experienced this stuff just can't connect or uh, feel any compassion and we need to fix that and i think it starts with awareness um you know we need to know there's this massive spectrum of experiences that women could go through no woman is going to go through all of it but you could have this or that or that and and demonstrate empathy but um i think in terms of being resilient and dealing with the fatigue uh, two things i think first of all the most important thing is to look after yourself first Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, that might sound trite, but for me, it's really, really important because um, I had a battle with cancer a few years ago, and um, which really I only discovered I was diagnosed one month after I left corporate. You know, it had oh my been God. yeah, it had been brewing for a year and a half at least because that's when my symptoms started. But I um, I was only diagnosed a month after I left, and you don't want to be in that position where you're sick and you don't even know it. You know, Um, and so that journey and I'm fine now, totally fine, touch wood. uh, But that journey has taught me a lot. And I think, you know, and my kids at the time were one and three years old. And so obviously that was top of mind. Um, But so you can't you're no use to anyone if you're not well, not your Mm -hmm. kids, not your colleagues, not the future generations of women. And so I think it's really, really important. The number one thing you wake up each day or when you go to bed at night, you think, how am I going to look after myself tomorrow? What Mm -hmm. am I going to do for myself tomorrow? Am I going to exercise? Am I going to get a massage? Am I going to take a long bath? Am I, uh, you know, whatever it is for you, um, then do it. I think self-love and self-care needs to be a daily practice. There's yeah. no shortcuts. And, and unapologetic, right? Unapologetic, guilt-free. Yeah, we, we have really created this martyrdom around the woman having it all and doing it all and, and being it all. And we know this has been exacerbated through the pandemic, um, but it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not healthy. Um, and, and obviously there's a real cost to it. Um, But sorry, you said that was the first thing. Was there a second thing? Yeah. I mean, the second thing that keeps me going is is celebrating little wins. You know, like, Mm. for example, um, you know, when I I get messages all the time through LinkedIn, uh, mostly through LinkedIn, a little bit through Instagram, but mostly through LinkedIn of people telling me that they've just discovered the podcast and it's it opened their eyes to this 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 it's changed their life and this 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 way you know they've bought these books recommended they you know uh, or you know say something like i really needed to hear that this week or whatever mm-hmm. it is it's impact mm-hmm. and yeah. and for me that really drives me and that really excites me so now i've taken to um to this habit of like taking pictures of these <laughs> these messages and storing them in a folder of like I call it feel good exclamation point that's my folder oh I love and, that yeah and then when my energy flags and I'm tired as of course it does um I'll go back and I'll look and I'll see and I'm like ah I'm impacting women's lives I'm really helping they're really getting something out of my work um yeah. you know or for example after a speech I give at a corporate they'll you know I'll get messages on LinkedIn saying you know how inspired they felt or what message they took away and why they needed to hear it and what they're going to do with that information um you know so these are the things that the the micro mi- micro impacts that keep yeah. you going and I I love that that sentiment of saving things that make you feel good about the work that you're doing. And you could apply that to anything, right? Absolutely. And just having that little 
like snapshot bank that you can go to and just be like, yep, that's why I'm doing this. That's why this is important. This is why I'm making a difference. And this is why I do what I do. What a great concept. Um, I would love to, I want to shift into talking about your podcast, When Women Win. Um, and, And I'd love to hear a bit more about your transition. So from corporate, why did you decide to leave corporate? When did you start the podcast? Was that part of this? Um, you know, obviously your cancer diagnosis would love to kind of, that's got to be completely uh, life-changing and literally upend everything you thought was going to be. Um, would love to hear how this all started to originate and, and boil for you. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, everything happens at the same time, you know, which I find in life. It really did. So I, um, I had... After my first uh, child, I had six, seven months maternity leave and I came home because, you know, outside the U.S., maternity leave is very common and it's paid and it's normal and expected and required. What a concept. Yeah, I know. Novel concept, right? Um, So I came back from my, so during my first maternity leave, uh, I was kind of older when I had my my first kids when I started my my first kid when I started my family I was I don't know 30 I guess 30 almost 36 when he arrived uh number one um so I already had like a, a sort of significant track record and I'd been at the company some time um and I was ready to be mama you know and I didn't want to yeah. I, I couldn't figure out really how I would keep doing my job which involved a lot of travel and, and long-haul travel right so like my average flight was eight hours mm. um you know a, you know that's just one trip a week and then there was just sometimes you'd have to do multiple anyway it was just untenable to me, to me. I I know other people can make it work. Great. You do what what works for you. But for me, that wasn't an option. Um, And so I, uh, I I talked to my company, my employer, and I said, I want to take a sidestep and uh, do something equally, you know, I don't want to take a step down, but I I want less travel. That's all I want. And in fact, at the company where I worked, it was very, it was like 10% of people did a ton of travel and most other jobs didn't involve all that travel. So, um, so yeah, we established a, a capital market. It turns out they they had they'd been thinking about establishing a capital markets function in the Middle East because they had one in uh, London and they had one in Singapore and they wanted something in between. And so I was it, and uh, I did nice. that job. I did it for two years, but it really wasn't as exciting or rewarding as um as my previous role, the front front end sales role. So it was. I won't. You know, sometimes you've got to it's a trade-off yeah it's a balance yeah it's a balance it's a balance and that's okay um and then when I came back from my second mat leave um everything had changed at GE my boss had changed and the CEO Mm. of the company had changed and just GE was going through a very rough time and I kind of felt that you know after 13 years there I was like maybe it's time to do something a bit different Around that time, I read a book called What Works? Gender Equality by Design, uh, written by a professor at Harvard, Iris Bonet. And it was a lightning bolt for me because it was, I had been thinking about gender equity. And I know when I started my career 21 years ago in McKinsey's London office, we were already talking about it. Mm -hmm. So this had been brewing in the back of my mind because I started focusing on this in 2011 when I started running the GE Women's Network. I was like, it's 2011, you know, or at this point it was now 2017. And I've been having these conversations in the workplace for 17 years. So why, why isn't the needle moving? Mm-hmm. And so I read the book and I was like, wow, we've identified the correct problem, but given it the wrong solution, you know, it's the problem is unconscious bias, but guess what? Uh, you know, your, your two day training is not going to change your primal wiring. So, uh, so that's <laughs> Did you see all- that boat that was stuck in the Suez Canal. There was a meme that they made up about like systemic racism and oppression was the big boat. And then the little bulldozer was unconscious bias training. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. No, I missed that. Oh, you have to send that to me. It's exactly this sentiment. I mean, it's a great step, but it is not like the solve all. Exactly. Listen, it's a necessary first step because people Mm -hmm. aren't even aware that these exist, that they have them. You know, it's something that Mm -hmm. everyone else has. No, we all have it. Unconscious bias is a real thing that we all have. And so I definitely think there's value in training. Is it the solution to systemic bias? No. 
Um, and so I read the book, uh, which basically the thesis is you have to fix the processes that circumvent the flawed human mind, um, mm -hmm. the flossom human mind. Uh, and so the, I wanted to get that the word out, really. Uh, and also I wanted to learn more. And so I reached out to uh, the professor at Harvard or General Harvard address, and I wanted, I really wanted to have a chat because I was just, my mind was blown. Um, mm. But I felt I needed context, and I didn't have any context. I thought if I'm just this, you know, hey, yeah, I'm Rena from Dubai, and I just want to, you know, chat because I found your book amazing. I didn't think she'd take the call. Um, right. So I needed context, and so I said I had a podcast. And I really wanted to interview her because I really wanted to get her messages out to the world. And she said, yes. And I was oh like, my God, oh, my God, now I have to start a podcast. <laughs> um, so that's how When Women Win came about is I really oh wanted to God. talk to that professor. And I really did want to get her messages out to the world. Um, but also my work at GE, I realized that there's a... Um, while junior women have a lot of role model women in the middle, middle management don't have a ton at the top. There's very, very few women at the top. And that's yep. also a problem that I wanted to solve that was brewing at the back of my head, which was, you know, how do we give mid-management women access to you know, role model women, senior C-suite women, to hear from them and learn from them at scale? Because mm -hmm. again, back to this burden we put on women, right? You've got your day job. I can't then give, you know, the, the one senior executive woman 15 female men mentees, right? That's right. not fair either. On right. Her. Then talk about, right, exactly. Talk about the burden and, and the responsibility. Yeah. 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 So that's the problem I was trying to solve was how do we give mid-management women senior role models at scale? And, um, and then this book came along. And so it all coalesced into this solution in my mind, which was, right, I'm going to create When Women Win. And so I uh, started that right when I resigned from GE in, the, in like June June, July, 2017, and released it because again, like I had to, <laughs> I had to create the podcast. So Talk it's about like, you building the plane while you're flying it, right? Right. You know, so then eventually October, I was ready to release it, which was good. Um, and that's the month that I left GE was October. And then November, I was diagnosed. So it really all happened around the same time. And then uh, I had just released When Women Win in October, November, I was diagnosed, but it was already like uh, gaining momentum. The podcast was gaining momentum and there was a lot of interest in it because it was this novel concept globally at the time, I think three and a half years ago, you know, there weren't any podcasts highlighting women in business. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. And then, uh, I decided to keep it going through chemo and, um, I did, you know, chemo was every two weeks. Uh, and I wanted the, the show to be weekly. So the first week I was super tired and I couldn't do anything. But then the second week I would do two episodes so that I could keep it going. And oh uh, and around that same time, companies uh, were sort of coming. I, I guess I had some visibility because I used to run Elevate at that time yeah. as well. And so companies were asking me to come in and give speeches because now I'd left GE, right? Uh, so I kind of, I had time, if you will. I had capacity, uh, right. but it was all taken up with my treatment and then my podcast and then these companies asking me to become a speaker. So suddenly I'm this professional speaker and then the speeches were going well. And so they want to hire me to be their consultant because they're like, we believe you, we need to fix this. How do we fix it? So I went in and became their consultant and all of this was all happening in 2018 it was all at the same time oh my god and so while you had a one and a three-year-old yeah that too <laughs> right you basically started an entire new career and an entire new creative endeavor and then had probably the most devastating health crisis that that you've had yeah which taught taught me a lot um and uh and the the number one thing is your support network for sure mm. And that's the, you know, a lot of women that I, that I've met, because I've met a lot of women having run multiple women's networks and mentored and coached and all of that. But um, the, a lot of women try to do things on their own and don't want to share because mm. they don't want to burden others. And I get it. I totally get it. Um, but sometimes uh, you have to allow people who care about you to help you. Mm -hmm. You have to ask because they won't know unless you ask. 
and and you have to allow because a lot of women also right they don't wanna they don't want the help they want to do it alone but you know nobody gets anywhere on their own nobody ever mm-hmm. has nobody not a man not a woman so true so true we I'm, my husband was just saying this last night that <laughs> he tends to tell me I'm hard to help I'm like I'm easy to help <laughs> if you help me the right way if you help me the way I want you to help me yeah <laughs> Yeah, no, I think um, it's fair that women are generally, no, I mean, I, it's terrible to generalize, right? But I'm definitely hard to help. I, I'm with you in yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's so, it's, I mean, we we are obviously both driven and, and resilient and, and in this kind of space of work for a reason, but it's such a critical point when you talk about self-care. That could be, you know, yes, a bath, but also asking for help. And allowing 100%. someone to come in and help is the best form of, of self-care. I agree. I agree. And I, I mean, this thing about sharing the load, I mean, wouldn't you, if you had a friend or a family member or even a colleague who was going through something like this, wouldn't you want them to ask you, hey, can you pick up my kid from school because I'm super tired today? Yeah. Yeah. You know, wouldn't yeah. you want them to? You're waiting for what do I do? Yeah. Right? And like, people kind of- want, I fundamentally believe that a lot of people, okay, maybe not everyone, but a lot of people want to be helpful and want to be useful. Well, I mean, I, I think you are, are touching on so many incredible things, but I, I really think when you talk about people wanting to help um, and not knowing how, I believe this shows up in allyship as well. Um, And so not to burden anybody who is an underrepresented voice, but again, being explicit with ways that we can help explicit with ways that we can break down barriers for for women and other uh, marginalized communities in the workforce, sharing that, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable or this is going to feel unnatural, but this is how we need to move people around or get people into places they need to go or make sure there's someone in that meeting with the right perspective. Um, and being really explicit about that communication and those asks and and allowing for the openness and the empathy for that to happen is critical to to catalyzing change. Yeah. Otherwise, we're just we're we're either treading water or we're making such incremental progress that it could be unwound in a second. I mean, look at just what's happened with the pandemic and women in the workforce. Mm, right. I, I mean, a global thing, but it just unwound so much progress because it was so, you know, tentatively in place. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think like with any important initiative, we have to keep at it and we have to keep being intentional about it. So, um, yeah, equity is not something we're going to fix quickly, obviously. Um, but also it's not something that even when you fix it, that it's going to stay fixed. It's like with anything, it's like that, you know, I guess I, I, I'm an engineer and I'm, (laughs) my, my master's was in superconductivity. So I always go to like the, the finite, you know, properties of matter, you know, we have a tendency towards entropy. That will always be the case. Entropy, chaos. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. the, the the challenge is always remaining focused and intentional about it. And equity is one of those things. It's not the only thing. You know, we are constantly companies are very conscious and intentional about cost control. Companies are very conscious and intentional about you know new challenges to market. Very conscious and intentional about new product development. So why can't you also be uh, <laughs> intentional? about equity and constant, constant and intentional. It's the same as every other priority. Like I mean, people- it's literally like, we'll look at goals to create driverless cars or to put computers on people's faces or send, you know, tourists to the moon. Like that yeah. seems- We can be wrong. intentional about that, but we can't be intentional about exactly. getting more representation at the top. I mean, come on. Exactly. I mean, it does. It really is- hilarious at times where they're like yes we are just trying so hard in the meantime this car is going to drive itself across the country it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly it's just yeah oh my gosh amazing well I have loved learning so much more about you and and about your approach and the work that you're doing and I think the varied experiences that you've had as well as weaving into that this concept of 
obviously it's not all your one lived life, but you pick up these stories, you pick up these themes and you hear of these experiences through other women and you start to get a much better grasp of what that experience is and, and what we can do to, to create it and make it grow. Yeah. Um, uh, sorry. Go ahead. Add, add. Um, I think there, there were, you know, I mean, okay. There's, there's, there's a couple of, how am I going to say this? Um, you're talking about our experiences in the workplace. So I just want to come back to something that I get asked a lot. Well, first of all, what you said earlier about us carrying this burden and that's, that's our lot. And, um, I definitely think we need to try to take the pressure off us underrepresented groups, women, mm-hmm. people of color. We somehow our allies need to help us and take the pressure off us. But to a degree, this is our lot. So I am now, you know, you and I, Bethany, we are fighting the fight for the generations of women. Me, woman of color, fighting the fight for future women of color. Like, unfortunately, this is our lot today. This is the the cards we've been dealt and we need to play them. Um, definitely allyship is huge. And actually, I gave a speech to Google about allyship not that long ago. Uh, oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. Google EMEA, Europe and East Africa. Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had a, a day, uh, I, I don't know, diversity day or something, and they, they brought me in to do a speech on allyship. Um, and there's tons we could talk about on allyship. And I think I, I would like to highlight the, the single thing, if I could pick one thing you could do to be an ally for a woman or a person of color uh, or any other sort of underrepresented group is to, um, ya Allah, is to amplify their achievements mm. in the workplace. So women and underrepresented groups, um, we don't have the same positive results that white men get when they talk about their achievements. I did this, I did that. It's a social norm. It's perfectly acceptable for them to do that. It's not as acceptable for us. So it doesn't land as well. And so women are reluctant to self-promote for this reason. Mm -hmm. And probably, you know, I don't have the data on underrepresented groups, to be honest, but I certainly know this to be true for women. Uh, We we tend not to self-promote because it doesn't land well. Um, But, you know, people need to know what you've accomplished and achieved if you want to get ahead. You know, if Mm -hmm. you want to get the next job, people need to know your name. People need to know what you've done, that you've contributed, that you're a valued, you know, and valuable team member. And so the best way to do that is to get other people to talk about your contributions and accomplishments. So I would encourage everyone listening to to really be conscious about this, about, you know, promoting the achievements of others. And you know what? Others will promote your achievements. Mm -hmm. And we build this virtuous circle of us always talking about each other and build this momentum, which really becomes, you know, which carries us or a wave of women into promotions and new jobs Hopefully that's the goal. Um, But this has been shown to work. So if you could amplify the achievements of your female colleagues, that would be a tremendous um, thing to do as an ally. Yeah, I love that. It's so actionable and it's so uh, easy. When you're exposed to this work and you know it's good work, sharing that with others you know, it's in, no in a skin way, off your nose. Yeah. Right. Right. And in a way that's intentional, a way that's high profile that will produce results. Yeah. And, uh, and actually, uh, and, uh, when are you going to release this Bethany? Uh, I have no idea when you're on the schedule for, I'll okay, don't worry. Bye. Um, you know, and, and a bunch of my guests on when women win have talked about this, like have talked about, uh, I learned this term strategic visibility, you know, mm. giving other women strategic visibility. Wow, that's cool. And not just other, you know, colleagues, but even like w- younger women on your team, you know, giving them strategic visibility uh, mm-hmm. is is important and something we can do. And, um, and I just want to say that my experience here coming to Houston, you know, connecting with you and you connecting me to these other women, and, and most, I would say 95% of the women I've reached out to, uh, women and men, by the way, but 95% have really been so kind and helpful and generous with their networks, really yeah. generous. Um, and I think there's a lot of focus on that 5% who are not. And it's true. There's definitely women who know me well. And I've reached out to and said, hey, can you, you know this person I've seen on LinkedIn. Uh, can you connect me? 
and they'll be like, oh yeah, I know that person quite well. Okay. And then they'll drag it out. You know, mm. they'll drag it out and then you have to chase and then they'll send this lukewarm intro when they actually know the two of you really, really well. Um, and there's people like that. But I think, you know, I was very hurt. That happened to me recently and I was very hurt, but I didn't want that. Then I, I like, I sat and I reflected and I was like, you know what? She's just one person. Look at all the other women who have, you know, like you, like Christy, like, uh, you know, everyone, everyone I've talked to. Um, well, I say everyone. I mean, literally 95% of the women I've reached out to have been not just okay to help, eager, yeah. eager. And I mention this because I always get asked, what about women sabotaging other women or women, you know, mm. who get to the top, pulling the ladder away? Yes, they exist. They exist and they probably always will, but they are truly in the minority. And this is really right. my experience. I would not be doing everything I do and giving all my time, energy and headspace to getting more women to the top if I felt that I was alone in this endeavor. You know, yeah. there is a lot of women like you and I working hard every day to to make it a better place for women and so i just want to reassure the listeners that there's definitely a whole lot more women who support you than not yes oh amen i totally couldn't agree more and i feel like it is so it's so not been my experience the other way um even though you see a lot of that kind of play out either in in media or in just sentiment and it's it's just not it's not my reality it's not what i've experienced either so it's great to hear on other sides of the world and other sides of the industry and other sides of, of initiatives that that's um, definitely much more the norm than, than the other way around. Um, I also want to call out, I may have mispronounced your name. Yeah. How do you pronounce your name? Rana. Rana. Cause I think I opened calling you Rana. That's okay. That's an, it's very common, but you can I fix know, it but if it, you want. But it's not okay, right? Because that's a really important thing. And I think that that happens to a lot of, of men and women. And it's something where I think we do need to uh, take a moment as as individuals and make sure that we get those things right. So thank you for teaching me that and giving <laughs> me that moment to learn. Bethany, it's no offense taken because of the way I spell my name. It doesn't translate, you know, from Arabic to English letters that well. <laughs> so no, no issue. No, I, I appreciate it. I always think it's important to take the, the time to talk about those things, but also to address them in the moment because it's, um, you know, it, it's, it's meaningful. It's a meaningful way that we connect with one another. So thank Rena, thank you so much. I am so thrilled that we got this time to speak um, for our listeners. Please tune in to when women win. You can uh, get that anywhere you get your podcasts. Um, and also you can connect with Rena on, it sounds like LinkedIn and Instagram, and we'll tag you on all those great places. Perfect. Thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed our chat, Bethany. Thank yes, you. And thank you for everything you do. Keep it up. Don't forget to jump over to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm -hmm.